As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So Matt, the other day I was driving and saw this guy hitchhiking and against my better judgment, I decided to pick him up Yeah, you know, pulled over and picked him up. He got in and we we're driving for a minute or two after he told me where he wanted to go. And he said, you know, I really appreciate you picking me up and taking me. Everybody has been passing me by. He goes, but how do you know I'm like not a serial killer or something? And I said, you know, that that's highly unlikely. And he's like, why? I said, well, the chances of two serial killers being in the same car is just astronomical. <laughs> he jumped out real quick after that. I don't understand why. <laughs> yeah. Good. <laughs> Good. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I am good. Excellent. Excellent. So real quick, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find some different shows to listen to, and you can find some tips on podcasting and stuff like that. So we're proud to be members of the Podbelly Network. Also, we want to say thank you to tonight's sponsors, Preply and Acorn TV, and we will talk a little bit more about them later. While you're on the internet doing the interwebs thing and the Googlings and the all that kind of stuff, hop over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales and sign up to become a member. We've got three different levels and you get three different bonus things there. Uh, our $10 members can get every week. They get the recording of us doing a main episode. So they get to see us do it. I don't edit out a lot of the mistakes. If I have to get up and go pee in the middle of it, I'll edit that out so you don't have to watch Matt sit and play on his phone while I go pee. But <laughs> which is exactly what happened. <laughs> but if if you if you want to see us do it and you want to see us make some mistakes and all that stuff, go sign up, become a ten dollar member. Yeah, and uh, you get to see all the the goofing off and the wisecracking we do before mm-hmm. we actually officially hit the record button you yep. know so you know we're usually either you know cracking on one another or telling something dumb the kids have done or just 
some gripe that's eating at us, you you get to hear it. And then yep. we just have to hit record and go. So yep. you get to see all that fun stuff. You get to see the change between us complaining about one thing and then all of a sudden, <laughs> hey, here we are again. That's right. So, <laughs> but if that sounds cool to you, go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales and become a member. Um, our $5 members, they get video versions too, but not of the main episode, just of the bonus episodes that we put out right. every week. So right. choose which one you want and every little bit helps. Don't think, oh, I can't do the $10 member, so I'm not going to even sign up because it's not worth it. Trust us. If you even sign up for the dollar membership, that helps us out a lot. Any little yeah. bit helps. It yeah. helps keep... As we say, the tombstone's polished and the coffin's buttoned up, but <laughs> it, it helps us produce the show, and, and it means a lot. Hey, Adam, when you were in school, did, did you have a favorite teacher? I did. I did. Yeah. And I bet you did really well in their class. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Better yeah. than any other classes. Yeah. It, it doesn't really matter what subject it is. If you connect with the teacher, then you're going to excel. And when you're trying to learn something new, like a foreign language, having a really good teacher that you connect with is critical to your mastery of that language. Now, the difference that a a good teacher makes is just immeasurable. And the attention to detail, instant feedback, and the passion they have, I mean, there's just nothing better. And if you're the kind of person who learns best from another real person and you want to learn a new language, then it's time for you to discover Preply. I mean, sure, being self-taught, using apps or or getting books or or cassettes or CDs, whatever. I mean, they've been out for years and years and years, but it's, it's like learning a new recipe or learning how to do plumbing work. You know, have you ever tried to learn a new language when you're talking to an expert tutor? I mean, that's just phenomenal to to know that you're doing things right and you get that feedback. And, and it's so critical when you're when you're trying to master something as as hard as learning a new language. Oh, sure, sure. And the thing is, have you ever tried to sound out like German or Arabic or Mandarin? If you've tried to teach yourself some of the languages throughout the world, you'll realize it's not easy and it's time to try Preply. And I know for me, I knew Spanish when I lived in Texas the first time. When I moved to Tennessee, I lost it. Well, when I came back, I wanted to relearn Spanish. So the way that was easiest for me was to get Preply and to learn Mm -hmm. from a tutor that spoke fluent Spanish and could go no, Adam, that's absolutely not how you say that. You say it like this. Because <laughs> I'd be going around saying, you know, uh, mispronouncing something terribly. And if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't know it. I'd read it yeah. and go, oh, yeah, hablamos. And they're like, no, it's it's hablamos. And you, you need the tutor to really help. Yeah, you're saying you're you're not asking him where the bathroom is. You're asking him why he has a fish in his pocket. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that may come in handy at some point, but not for this situation. So learning a language is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And if you want in on the secret to the commitment to make it stick, 
you need Preply. And self-learning of a new language is bound to end in failure because the secret to successful language learning is commitment. And the learning is driven by real expert tutors, like we said, and you'll get this if you go to Preply. It's just like working out. If you're working out, you need a coach or you need somebody there to keep you in line and make sure you do the right thing and stick with it. Preply is the way to go. Yeah, Preply helps you learn to confidently speak any language through live one-on-one sessions with real expert tutors. Self-guided learning can be challenging to stick with, and most language learning apps are a one-size-fits-all. Plus, in-person learning can be expensively complicated at best. With Preply, you'll discover a tutor and an interactive learning platform where learning becomes a passion, not homework. Preply's one-on-one approach with 50,000 expert tutors from over 203 countries is your ticket to mastering any language you choose. From immersing yourself in the new culture to succeeding in your career or simply getting unstuck on a word you don't understand, Preply teaches you to speak a new language naturally. So you can book a private tutor today at preply.com grave and get 50% off your first lesson for a limited time. Learn languages online with the world's best tutors for half off at P-R-E-P-L-Y dot com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E. That's right. Graveyard Tales listeners can book a private tutor today at preply.com slash grave and get 50% off your first lesson for a limited time. Learn languages online with the world's best tutors for half off at P-R-E-P-L-Y dot com slash grave g-r-a-v-e all right well that's all we got so matt why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight brother all right so we are coming back to my hometown nashville tennessee Mm -hmm. and we are going to discuss the old Tennessee State Prison. Yeah, buddy. Which, if you're from the Nashville area, if you're actually from the Middle Tennessee area and have been through Nashville, there's a really good chance you have seen this. You can see it uh, from the highway, Briley Parkway. You can look right over there, and you can still see it. Yep. Um, it it looks like a castle. So its nickname has been the castle, right? Uh, for quite some time. Um. It, it was officially closed in 1992. We're going to get into that. Um, but it was essentially abandoned and just kind of left to rot, uh, which has become a, a recipe for hauntings. Sure. Yeah. Um, an old abandoned prison. Yep. Yeah. That just haunted just kind of goes with it. It's like mac and cheese and, <laughs> you know. It just, you know, old abandoned prison haunted. Yeah. Yep. Grilled cheese and tomato soup. <laughs> but I've I've driven by I've driven by this place hundreds of times. Yep. When and, I lived there I did too. Yeah. yeah. And and it's just it's bizarre. You know, when you just look over over the hill right there and you see those spires like it, it's it's like, did I cross over into a, a Game of Thrones episode? <laughs> what is that over there? Right. And for it to just still be standing 
and then right. have not done anything with it. But we'll we'll touch on why they just left it standing too. Mm-hmm. But as we always say, go check our sources down at the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found the information. You can follow along. You can continue the research if you would like, because I didn't go super heavy on the history. Um, got enough to get you acclimated to it and familiarized with it, but didn't go super heavy on it this time. Um, but let's get into it. So in 1819, Governor Joseph McMinn suggested that a loan from the state bank be made to fund the construction of a prison. So in it took 10 years or so. So in 1829, when the General Assembly appropriated $25,000 for the construction of such a facility on Church Street, a construction uh, with construction beginning in April of 1830. Um, so if you're from the area, you know exactly where church street is. You've probably Mm -hmm. driven on it. Uh, some people may have gotten drunk on church street, but you know, it's, (laughs) that's where they decided to put it was church street. Present, present company included. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Both present companies. Now at the time, the new 200 cell Tennessee state prison was dedicated by Governor William Carroll on January 1st, 1831. Now, once the Tennessee State Prison opened its doors, this says, or rather its cells, in 1831, it quickly became overcrowded. The situation worsened in 1863 after the Union Army occupied the city and turned the penitentiary into a military prison. So we just got done talking about a military prison a couple episodes ago. So this prison they used as a military prison for a while. Now, because of this, the number of prisoners skyrocketed and daily operations became much more of a challenge. Now, the overcrowding also affected the sex segregation as men and women were forced to be housed in the same location. And, you know, you can't do that. No, it's a terrible idea. Yeah, it's it's bad idea. To have a co-ed prison. Monumentally bad. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Co-ed prison just does not work. It's not like college. It's it's like saying, hey, what are are we going to do with our pet fox? Um, Well, let's keep him in the hen house. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, great idea. Great idea. (laughs) Somebody's going to be fine. The other people will not. Now, the original penitentiary was demolished in 1898. Um, with some of the salvage materials used to build a bigger prison. So this first one, they scrapped it, starting over. Now, a 1,200-acre plot was selected along the Cockrell Bend of the Cumberland River northwest of Nashville. So, again, if you're a native, you probably know where that Cockrell Bend on the Cumberland River is. Now, the second structure had 800 microcells equipped to hold just one person each. Now, with the new construction, officials aimed to emulate the architectural design and discipline models established within the Auburn Correctional Facility. Now, this facility is located in Auburn, New York, and the reformatory type prison was the first to reform and ex- uh, first to perform an execution by electric chair. It was also the first to implement perpetual solitary confinement 
and hard manual labor under strict silence. So couldn't talk. Couldn't talk. Nobody was allowed to speak. Um, everybody was in solitary confinement. So just like this uh, original, well, the second version of the Tennessee State Prison, they had tiny little cells. You stayed in solitary. You didn't have a cellmate, nothing like that, and you were under strict silence. It says, when the state prison began accepting inmates, they enforced the same dead silence guidelines. Now, their heads were to stay down at all times, and prisoners were not allowed to receive letters or calls from their loved ones unless it was absolutely necessary, life or death necessary. Yeah. I mean, they were really... They were really kept down. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you know, it's a thought process. You know, the the more beat down you have somebody, the easier they are to control. Yep. Um, but you know what's really interesting to me is that I never understood. I never gave it any thought. Never had any reason to until we started researching these old prisons. And when we look into the history, we start learning about these prison systems. And it's just like a school. It's like we've got a curriculum that we're going to follow. That school follows a different curriculum. Somebody may come along and go, we're going to build a new school. And here's all these different curriculums we can choose from. We like this one. Uh So we're going to choose this and we're going to follow it too. prison systems were the same. Yep. Yep. And, you know, they would look at other other states that had either successfully managed a a prison or successfully reformed offenders and other prisons would adopt that type of system. So that's the Tennessee, the original Tennessee state prison was no different, but I had no idea. I was like, I wouldn't even consider, Oh, there's an actual system to this. I figured they just took them in and said, control them best you can lock them up and feed them. And that's it. Yep. And that's true. I mean, if you, a lot of people don't give much thought to how prisons are run and you're right. They, they have strict guidelines. It's not just, here's your prisoners, beat them if they get out of control. Otherwise just let them sit in their cell. You know, they have, it's a methodology. it, It really is down to what they wear. Like we talked about at Alcatraz down to the clothing they wear and how many buttons they can have buttoned and all that. It's it's pretty strict for the most part. Now, this says that besides two cell blocks, it included an administration building, a hospital, two factories, a warehouse, and a working farm. Now, convicts slept in solitary cells, and they worked up to 16 hours a day. Factories, offices, and storage facilities were constructed inside the structure to allow for profitable prison labor. And there was also a farm enclosed by an outer wall that was reserved for the women prisoners to grow crops in. Now, physical work was used as a way to make inmates pay off the cost of incarceration. So, you know, it's not free to house prisoners. And nowadays we pay taxes that go to the prison system that helps house prisoners. But at that time they were using inmate labor they would 
have them work in these factories and stuff and sell the products that they made. And that would be what they use to um, cover the cost of incarceration, which I mean, I on the outside looking in, I I think that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now how you go about implementing that labor now that that could come into question, Mm -hmm. but just just on the surface, you know, if you know, instead of just being incarcerated and sitting in a cell all day, maybe getting to go outside for an hour or two and lifting weights and shooting baskets and watching television, um, actually, you know, doing something productive. See, in 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 my in my warped brain, I I think, wow, you know, you probably had prisoners learn new skills, um, you know, something they could actually use when they got out. You know, whether it's you know agriculture or everything, but again. It's it's how you implement this. Oh yeah, hundred uh, percent. I mean, you know, it's a big difference in having prisoners work a farm and uh, grow their own crops to help cover the cost of their incarceration. It's another thing to just you know drive them for hours on end a day without mm-hmm. breaks and without letting them talk and any of that other yep. stuff. Yep. Yep. Well, you know, now um, I. I wanted to say a lot, but I don't think it's a lot. I think it's um, uh, a few. They do things like they'll bring in shelter dogs and the inmates that are not super dangerous will get to work with these shelter dogs and train them. Mm-hmm. So they're they're doing something and it's benefiting society because you get a well-trained shelter dog now and it helps. So they, they kind of do still, still do something like that, but not quite like what they're talking about here, where in factory work and all that. Taking big rocks and making little rocks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now in Nashville, prison labor became so popular that it actually became competition with free workers. So it was competing with the factories and stuff outside of the right. prison, which yeah. seems like it would. I mean, if if you got enough prisoners doing enough labor and if you're treating them correctly during this labor, then you can produce enough goods or services to compete with people out there getting paid to do the job. Right. Now, the new prison admitted 1,403 prisoners on the first day of operations. Now, you remember how many prison cells I said it had? That's right. 800. 800. So they admitted 1,403 prisoners on the first day of operations, which created an immediate overcrowding concern. Yeah. Most of the places we've talked about overcrowding, overcrowding has always been a problem in these prisons, but. It, it just, it gradually became a problem like yeah. over the first yeah. few years. This one, day one, day yeah. one, they were overcrowded and not by a little. No, by many <laughs> hundreds, many hundreds. Now, the original facility that they started tearing down was actually reused as an overflow jail, but soon even that was demolished and... The salvageable materials from that demolition was then used to uh, construct various other outbuildings at the new prison. So they 
basically built their own prisons. You know, they they constructed Mm -hmm. using the old stuff, made new rooms for them to stay in. Now, an adult female cell block was added in 1930, followed by the opening of the Western Tennessee Penal Farm in Lauderdale County in December 1937 to alleviate overcrowding issues even more so. So created this penal farm, which, again, it 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 gives prisoners some work to do and then also lessens the overcrowding somewhat in the the jail. You have no idea how hard it is to hold it together when Adam says penal farm. (laughs) (laughs) You ever visited that website, Penn Island? (laughs) Oh, people are going to go to this. Don't, don't, please don't. Don't Google Penn Island. (laughs) Just forget about that. That's a bad joke. All right, so let's talk about some of the riots and disturbances that happened, and we'll just briefly go through these. Now, in 1902, 17 prisoners blew out the end of a wing of the prison with explosives, killing one inmate. How'd they get explosives is my question. That's what I wondered. (laughs) You know, you would think in that time it would have to be dynamite TNT of some sort. So how do you smuggle in dynamite? into a prison to be able to blow out a wing. Yeah. Well, it was, it was shortly after it had opened in 1898 when that happened. So there was probably still some level of construction that was happening on the ground. That's a good point. Yeah. And they, they would have had blast caps and things like that for blowing up stumps and blasting through rock. That's what I thought. I, 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 otherwise I'm like, what, what could you possibly you know, yeah. smuggle, yeah. you know, TNT in to a prison. Yeah. You know? Well, our our Patreon from a couple of weeks ago probably tells that. <laughs> but if you're not a, a Patreon member, you wouldn't know how you could do that. But <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, we'll tell Rob that's not a that that wouldn't be a prison purse. That would be a, a prison duffel bag. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Did you bring your prison duffel bag? (laughs) So several years after that, a few inmates took command of the segregated wing and held it hostage for 18 hours. So they held hostage an entire wing for almost a full day. Um, Now, several others took control of a switch engine and drove it through the prison gates in 1907 in an attempt to escape. That's actually not a bad idea. No, it's not. But I, I'm going to show my ignorance. I, I don't know what a switch engine is. Do, do you? Without uh, sounding ignorant, um, I'm assuming it's just a small type of um, train used within a small, like it doesn't travel across the the town or the country, it just stays within a certain yard. So it's like a small yeah, train that exact, they use to that's move exactly stuff. exactly what it is. Okay. Man, I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, a switcher, a shunter, a yard pilot, switch engine, yard goat, or shifter is a small railroad locomotive used for maneuvering uh, railroad cargo and whatnot. Yeah, you're exactly right. You're a genius. Heck yeah. 
I knew I was good for something. <laughs> and random stupid information, but it's something. <laughs> Dang it. Now, inmates staged an unsuccessful mass escape in 1938, and then they had riots that occurred in 1975 and in 1985. So remember, this stayed open until 1992. So it was still pretty dang active in 1985 when that last riot occurred. Oh, yeah. And we've had other episodes where we've talked about riots, and they... Prison riots get brutal. It's it's bad stuff. It's probably one of the things that most guards probably fear the most is oh, yeah. having a riot in the prison. Yeah. Yeah. I and you know, I've got a I've got a patient I see that worked in the prison system. And you know, he he just, he's like, hey, it was just part of it. You know, you just, you just got to know them and, and they got to trust you and they, they knew that you, you weren't out to get them and things got a little looser and mm-hmm. that kept, kept it down. So it almost seems to me, based on the research we've done over the last few years, is this whole thing of, we're going to make you stay quiet. We're going to isolate you. We're going to make you keep your head down. All this stuff that was designed to beat these prisoners down and keep them under control did exactly the opposite. Yep, I think so. I think so. You put too much pressure on people and you treat them wrong, it's going to come back and bite you one day. Yeah. Now, in 1983, several current and former prisoners filed a class action lawsuit against the state claiming that the Tennessee State Penitentiary was severely overcrowded and had inadequate sanitation and ventilation. Now, preparations began on replacing the antiquated penitentiary after the lawsuit, and a court ruling found it to be overcrowded and unsanitary. So following mass riots that occurred throughout the state prison system in 1985, so it wasn't just in the old Tennessee State Prison, it was throughout the prison system that year. Mm-hmm. Um, the state passed the Comprehensive Corrections Improvement Act. Um, a federal judge then capped the state's inmate population and set a deadline on June 30th, 1992, for the state to bring the prison system into compliance. Now, Governor uh, McWhorter launched a $300 million building campaign in 1987 to construct new prison beds and update existing facilities. One of the uh, first facilities to open under the rebuilding program was Riverbend Maximum Security Institution in 1989 to directly replace the Tennessee State Penitentiary. By February of 1992, the penitentiary had only 215 inmates in it. That's a big decline from what it was. Now, the last inmate, a Billy Sadler, was escorted out with the governor on June 26 and was transferred to a brand new $30 million special needs prison. So after the last prisoner was moved out into another facility, they estimated that demolishing the Tennessee state penitentiary would cost somewhere between 850,000 and $2.5 million in order to demolish this. So, 
that's why it was still standing. Mm-hmm. They're not going to pay $2.5 million to take something down, to raise it. Right. Why? Just leave it, leave it up. Now, after it closed, 10 movies were filmed there, and including The Green Mile, which is probably the most famous one. Mm-hmm. If you've watched The Green Mile, you have seen the Tennessee State Penitentiary. Mm-hmm. And you've seen inside it and out, outside of it. Um, also, The Last Castle and Bring Me Down have all been filmed at this former prison, including a whole lot more. Oh, yeah. And and, and music videos. Yep. And there was um, a celebrity ghost hunt show uh, that filmed there that used to run on VH1. Yeah, a lot of things. And, you know, if if you're not from this area, if you're not familiar with it, Go look at the pictures. There's tons. Um, in fact, uh, they had hired a photographer um, within the last few years to go and document what was remaining. Um, and it's it's just incredible the architecture. You know that that look. I mean it 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 is a castle. It is it is not a building that looks like a castle. It is a castle. Yep. Um, when you see it from the outside and. That's what you see when you drive by. So, mm-hmm. you know, you see something like that. It It's very, I, I, I don't know what the word is. What do you, it, it, it's going to look great on film, whatever that word is, yep. you know? Yep. And, and so that's why it has, it has drawn a lot, um, uh, a lot of interest for, um, for movie making there. Right. Now in March 3rd of 2020, um, I remember this happening and I know you do, mm-hmm. um, March 3rd of 2020, a tornado came through and it touched down overnight and it hit the old Tennessee state prison and it caused considerable damage to it. Yeah. Um, blew out a whole wall, wrecked a whole big part of it. And so what used to happen there, they don't really allow to happen there now. Yeah. Um, because it's structurally unsound after that, which is to me very sad. Yeah. Because it was such a historic building, and y'all know me in history, and the demolishing of history just gets under my skin a lot. Um, but that was an act of nature, and yeah. you can't stop it. But All right, Matt. So these days, you know, it feels like every show that you watch is just a copy of something else. You can almost actually quote the next line before they say it. And it's kind of annoying, but that doesn't really happen when I watch Acorn TV. And I know you feel the same way. Uh, It's the best place to find shows from Britain, Ireland, Australia, and beyond. And everything I watch feels like It's new and original, and there's something new to discover every week. And Acorn TV is the largest commercial-free British streaming service that features compelling stories, exclusive premieres, and originals you won't find anywhere else. And it's cool because I can work on my accent when I watch it. (laughs) We'll start watching it at night, and then I'll end up talking like this by the end of the night. Ashley does too. It's great. And (laughs) I'm going to see if I can do that. Hang on. Acorn TV has hundreds of exclusive shows from around the world, including award-winning mysteries, dramas, comedies, history, and so much more. 
It sounds like he's uh, he's auditioning for a Christmas Carol. Or something. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm he's, uh, I'm he's auditioning. Gonna, he's gonna be Bob. He's gonna be Bob Cratchit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm auditioning for the Walmart version of Monty Python. <laughs> <laughs> the the equate version of Monty Python. <laughs> and the series you find on Acorn TV are cleverly written, visually striking, and feature renowned actors and hosts like David Tennant and Mary Berry. Like Agatha Raisin, which is now in season four. Now, this is an Acorn TV original. Ashley Jensen returns as Britain's funniest, most fashionable country sleuth in this delightful private detective series. This all-new season includes four new mysteries based on the best-selling novels of M.C. Beaton. So for original shows from Britain and beyond, Acorn TV has them all. You're going to love it, just like we do. Try Acorn TV free for 30 days by going to acorn.tv and using our promo code GRAVE, that's G-R-A-V-E. And you can get thousands of hours of new enthralling content on Acorn TV for just $5.99 a month. So if you want to do this, go to acorn.tv, that's A-C-O-R-N dot TV, and use our promo code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E. But you have to enter the code in all lowercase. It's case sensitive so do grave g-r-a-v-e in lowercase letters that's acorn.tv code grave there is there is a group that has been operating for the last few years um you know that's making an effort to restore it not not as a prison, but to just restore the the building itself for you know historical sake. Right, which is great. Um, I, yeah, I love it, that. It is. I, I don't. I don't know that they're making a whole lot of headway because the building and the property that it sits on is still owned by the Tennessee Department of Corrections. Mm-hmm. They still use the property. Yeah. Um, there are, there are other buildings on the property. Um, you know they they still have the same access. Uh, that you would if you were actually going to the prison building. Um, so they drive by it, you know, and see it, you know, all the time, right up there next to it. But they're they're going to work and they're going to a different spot. Um, but because of that, because it is still owned by the Tennessee Department of Corrections, they guard it, and yep, sure. you, the the general public uh, does not have access to it in any way, shape, or form. Um, so attempting to to go and visit it is and has been for quite some time illegal yep it is it's private property it's own it's owned by the department of corrections and and it is guarded 24 hours a day yep sure but let's um adam touched on it and we've kind of briefly mentioned a few things but the conditions in the prison they weren't just hard on inmates. They were hard on the officers there, too. Now, the cell block housing units were five stories tall. So uh, Department of Corrections uh, Chief Interdiction Officer Dan Strickland, who started his career at the Tennessee State Prison in 1975, says he remembers climbing all of those stairs day after day in an unair conditioned building. 
He said it was hot rough. in the summer. It was hot in the winter. Hmm. He said by the end of the day, you're ready to go home, take a shower, eat, and go to bed. I'm sure, you yeah. Because it just it was exhausting. Now, here's something interesting. Children were housed among adults. Now, if if That's anyone scary. was yeah, if anyone was in the, any of the incarcerated individuals acted out, broke rules or whatever, during the early years, they would face lashing from a whip, okay? This included women and children. The Tennessee newspaper archives show a preteen boy who was incarcerated. Uh, he faced whippings for whistling and laughing. I just can't believe they housed kids there. Yeah, and I, I mean, I know we're we're not talking like five year olds, but you well, know, it was fourteen. Yeah, you're talking teenagers and preteens, and that's that's too young to be housed with adults. Yeah, because I mean, what do you what do you throw a two year old in jail for? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you didn't eat all your carrots. Yeah, well, sometimes straight to, straight to jail. Sometimes I would like to, you know. You're crying for no reason. Off to jail with you. You went to bed, straight to jail. (laughs) Now, riots and unrest were a constant issue at the prison, and they were most often linked to the mistreatment of the prisoners. Experts repeatedly said the conditions of the prison would only produce violence. That's what we touched on earlier. Yep. Um, you know, all of these efforts that were to beat people down just really caused more strife and conflict. Sure. Now, Adam, Adam mentioned the, there was a riot in 1975. That riot, it erupted after the cafeteria ran out of enough pork chops for everyone. Mm, yeah. yeah. If I don't get my pork chops, I might riot too. And I know that sounds silly, but one person died and 39 were injured in that in that riot. That's wild. Which took the National Guard to stop. Wow. Okay. All because they ran out of pork chops. This, this is the kind of stuff that when you're already just oppressed, mm-hmm. you know, something like this, probably the, the one little piece of enjoyment you had during the day is is taken away and you snap. Yep. Yep. I mean, that's just, that's human nature. I mean, you can only take so much. Sure. All right, this is a quote that was taken from a diary that was found inside the prison, and the the entry is dated 1975. It says, whatever meager privileges we still retain, we, we will now gamble away. Our backs are to the wall. We have no illusions that we will be rescued from afar. It is our fight. We shall accept the consequences together, whatever they may be. So it's, it's just, you know, hey, I've had enough. And we all have, and this is what it led to. Yep. Now, from that point, inmates began putting pressure on the state by filing lawsuits and publicly airing their grievances on live TV press conferences. And another riot broke out in 1985 that resulted in $1.7 million in damages, which is equal to about $2.4 million today. Fires were set in the prison and guards were taken hostage. So uh, there was a, a lot of unrest for years and years and years inside this building, inside this big, you know, stone and concrete building. And 
we've mentioned this before that all that negativity, all that energy just is absorbed into those walls and Mm -hmm. it just, it just leaves that negative mark. And on top of that negative energy, how about the fact that there were over a hundred executions by electric chair in the old Tennessee state prison? It's a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, that is. is a lot of people. Um, you know, opened in in eighteen th- that building opened in uh eighteen ninety eight. It closed in nineteen ninety two, and there was over a hundred executions. So yeah, that's, that's a lot. That's more. That's more than one a year on average. Yep. Now, like I said, this just adds to the creepy mystique of the castle. Now, the electric chair that was in the Tennessee State uh, Prison was built out of the gallows used by the state before it abolished hangings in 1913. All right, so now we're going to drag that juju in here, too. Yeah, right. (laughs) We're going to build our execution machine out of an older execution machine. (laughs) What? Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that paranormal sludge that gets on stuff that yeah. we've talked about yeah. uh, several times. You're just bringing, you're you're dumping a bucket on something that's you're just going to then keep dumping more of that sludge onto. Exactly. So you're just like priming the pump, basically. Yeah. Now, a replacement chair was built in 1989, but they kept the old wooden back legs. Still just dragging it around. The, the original chair was retired after 125 electrocutions, and the new chair is stored in the state's execution chamber in Nashville alongside the lethal injection equipment. Wow. Still around. Now, now Adam, would you care to take a guess at what the electric chair in the Tennessee State Prison was nicknamed? Sparky, Smoky, Zappy, or... <laughs> Uh, Fred, I don't know. Uh, okay, so two two out of four. I'm in, I'm impressed. So huh. old Sparky, was, yep. and and how original. Okay, yeah. um, because old Sparky is also the nickname of the electric chair in Arkansas, Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Illinois, Kentucky, Nebraska, New York, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia. now depending on the source that you look at some will say that the nickname was old smoky okay um but to me this sounds like when you have a real snappy comeback for somebody only to think of a better one a few hours later where they're like oh man we should have called it old smoky you know Mm -hmm. we're here in tennessee well let's let's try it we'll just start referring to it as old smoky yeah i've looked at tons of resources they all say old sparky except for maybe three um to the point that i thought it was actually a typo (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah it was probably like four people that were calling it smoky they're like sparky's stupid let's call it smoky i was like this is so unoriginal you know at least at least if if you're if you're gonna add a, a little bit of facetiousness to an electrocution um you know, it at least be creative. Right. So it, it right. got me wondering, what are some other nicknames for electric chair in other states? You know, maybe somebody's a little more creative than us. Um, 
and uh, in some states, they have Yellow Mama. That's All weird. Right. Gruesome Gertie. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. Sizzling Sally. And and the hot seat. <laughs> oh, jeez, that's that hot seat's another one of those. You're like, yeah, no. Oh, come on, no. you can do better than that. <laughs> you can do better than that. Um, I, but, it, yeah, you sure? I, <laughs> it's not like that Allison Chain song. One of them's called Angry Chair. Angry Chair, yeah. Oh. But you know, and then there's the old, you know, ride the lightning. Mm-hmm. You know, which I'm old enough to know that that. I know what that term means because of uh, a Metallica album cover. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Actually, one of my favorite Metallica songs, let alone album. Yep. Now, when it closed in 1992, the prison was already falling apart. Yeah. I mean, it it was not, besides being overcrowded, besides having sanitary issues, ventilation issues, it was falling apart. And since that time, it has fallen into complete disrepair, overgrown and collapsing. When you look at the pictures of the the old uh, Tennessee State Prison now, the first thing that comes into your head is that place is creepy as hell. I bet it's haunted. (laughs) I mean, that you just can't help it. Now, as I said earlier, it's important to note that the Tennessee State Prison building is closed to visitors. Um, Adam mentioned it did take some tornado damage. Uh, two years ago. Plus, it's full of asbestos. Oh, good. So yeah. it's it's far too dangerous to allow anyone inside anymore. But those who have ignored the warning signs and and dared to venture too far into the prison have witnessed some very unsettling things. Now, inside, some of these uh, outlaw visitors have heard what they believe to be cell bars clunking and have followed the noises through the prison only to find that there's no one there. Mm -hmm. Now, visitors swear that they have heard blood-curdling screams while inside the building, which is believed to be the spirits of the prisoners that were electrocuted. Disembodied footsteps have also been known uh, to echo throughout the halls, and even a few apparitions have been reported. But none of them have been associated with any particular prisoner or individual or former employee. Right. Because they don't give tours. I was going to say, you have to spend more time in there to figure that stuff out. That's right. Now, some people claim that the prison is cursed and that anyone who sets foot inside will meet a horrible end. That's really all I got on the curse. I. I couldn't find anything else as to why somebody would say this is cursed, I guess, because it's just kind of scary and it was horrible. And yeah, you know, why not? It's cursed. probably one of those local legends. Yeah. That residents around there say that. Mm-hmm. Now, one guard who was employed at the prison in 1985 reported hearing footsteps under his tower. Now, he called for backup and investigated and they discovered actual footprints circling the tower the guard also found the same footprints located behind his chair inside the tower but no one was ever seen that's wild Mm -hmm. circuit court judge claiborne peebles he stated that while he was a district attorney he had to visit a prisoner there and judge Peebles said it was one of the scariest places he's ever been 
Now, unfortunately, because you know the the prison closed in ninety two, so doing any kind of legitimate ghost hunting in an active prison not going to happen. No, nope. um, and because it was in such disrepair, access to the building was extremely limited. Um, you know, plus the fact that it was closed off several times uh, for filming of movies and music videos and television shows. So yep. the public didn't have access to it then. And then later it became just too dangerous to allow people to have access. So it was really restricted even more um, with the exception of the occasional uh, documentarians or photographers, but just a routine ghost hunt. Not allowed. I'd love to interview somebody who worked a movie set on like Green Mile and yeah. they spent time there. I'd love to interview somebody like that. Um, not even, it doesn't even have to be one of the stars, like yeah. one of the, the key grip or the best boy or something that spent time there and maybe witnessed something. Because they would be the ones that would notice something. Mm hmm. They would be the ones that were digging through, setting up, trying to yep. hide cable, run lighting, um, and, and keep it out of a shot. So they were going to be the ones that were there when nobody else was. Yep. And they would have been the ones to experience. But unfortunately, those stories, they're just not out there. They, they just haven't right. been published. I'm sure there are plenty. But like Adam said, you, you'd have to find a person that actually experienced it to get those stories because they just haven't been published. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, if you go through, you can kind of take essentially a ver a virtual tour, um, with plenty of photographs and you can see, um, the, the size of the cells, you know, how small they were. And you got to remember they were overcrowded. So there was more than one person in that little cell that was built for one person. Yep. Exactly. Um, you know, you, you can you can kind of get a feel for the creepy vibe. And now that it's overgrown um, with, you know, brush and vines, it, it even it looks even more creepy. And the fact mm -hmm. that it, it's a castle, you know, it looks like something, you know, medieval just sticking out of the middle of Nashville. Yep. Um, but as far as, you know, this one's got the spirit of such and such prisoner that roams the halls and will touch you and everything. It's just not there. There are a few people that have reported cold spots. Um, but, you know, look at this building. I mean, there's going to be cold spots in there that are perfectly explainable. Um, but it, the, the biggest thing that people report is the footsteps. Um, yeah. You know, you can, you can hear people walking and there's nobody there. And then the visualization of actual footprint, like someone has been there, um, that's that's kind of unique. We don't usually uh, find stories of people hearing footsteps and then seeing footprints to yep, go along with it. That's rare. Um, when there's not anybody present, yep, or there's rare. you know your buddy's not up there trying to play a joke on you. And you know we 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 wanted to do this one because you always see it on lists of most haunted places. Yeah, but. It's like some of those that we've talked about before, not entirely sure how it gets on that list, except that it's super creepy. And then, the, you know, people just assume that it's got to be really haunted or they make stuff up about yeah. it. 
the and most I think, the most I, I I am convinced that a lot of these most haunted websites are are run and funded by the Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to bring tourism to the area. Why not? Yep. But I think you know, the making stuff up is a is a big deal and we were talking before the mics heated up about a pretty prominent um uh, for lack of a better term lie yeah about the prison and Matt you want to tell them what you found so in looking in into all of this we did find a, a fairly long list of shows and movies that have been uh filmed there mm-hmm. um i think eric church has done a couple of videos there uh a few other things but there was a show I believe it was it was uh, in 2006 called it ran on VH1 and it was called uh, Celebrity Paranormal Project. Okay, yeah. and the premise of this show is we're going to take some, um, maybe I don't know, B list, C list celebrities, probably yeah. some people that you know were famous at one time, um, and had just you know kind of out of the spotlight but they come back to do this show they're essentially shoving them into a haunted location or a suspected haunted location and they're going to do the old um what was that show on MTV fear where they put the camera they mount the camera so you can see their face the whole time yeah um and so this is what they did and this particular one had Joe Piscopo and Mariel Hemingway uh Peekaboo Street, the Olympic skier, and, and and another lady that I was unfamiliar with. I think she was from uh, a reality show at the time. Um, and and they were given they they go up now. This is this is very very. It was very curious to me when I started watching the show because immediately I noticed in the first five minutes they had not mentioned Tennessee, Tennessee State Prison, Nashville, or anything. Okay, right. They referred right. to the prison as the wall, which if you look the, the list of nicknames for the Tennessee state uh, penitentiary at that time, the wall will be on there, but it, it really wasn't. It was, that was strictly from this show that I, I can't find any other reference to it being called the wall. Yep. I never ran into it anywhere else either. Actually, I take that back. There is another show that was filmed there or partially filmed there. It it also uh, called the prison The Wall. That, so, you know, there was a cut, but it was completely fictionalized. The nickname of the place was The Castle. That's mm-hmm. that's really what it was called. Um, but so they they get outside of this of this of the gate and they're they're reading their little mission. And so they start describing that the ghost of the original warden is inside this prison. And he called, he, he had all, there were all these executions while he was there. Um, all this horrible treatment of inmates, which Um, executions and the treatment. That's true. It is true. So there was, there was a little bit of truth in the story. It was just, it was like they took out all of the, all of the specifics so that they could have a little bit of creative license. And so they told the story about this horrible warden, gave his name, actually had some old pictures. So I start looking this guy up only to find out that this guy didn't exist. Yep. Um, or if he did, it wasn't associated with the Tennessee State uh, Penitentiary. 
it, uh, you know, I looked at who the original warden was. Um, I looked at a list of wardens and this guy's name wasn't on it. And so I, and, and no other sources could I see where an apparition associated with a, an original war, warden or any warden or any employee by name was ever reported. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I quickly learned this was completely fabricated for the show. Yep. And we bring this up strictly because we like to pick, you know, pick and poke at, at some of these, um, quote, reality ghost shows that are on TV, the ghost hunting shows and things like that. Um, and we always try to tell folks, remember, you have to take this stuff with a grain of salt. Yeah. You know, you can't sure. just you can't just gobble it down like it's 100 percent fact and that what you're seeing on TV is actually happening um, because it's entertainment. Well, and if you if you were to film a hundred percent accurate ghost hunt and put it on TV, nobody would watch that. That's crap. right. That's right. Because ninety five percent of the time you're talking into the air and nothing's happening. Yeah. Or you you sit by yourself for three hours and you get a couple thumps. Yeah. Well, yeah. on these shows, they got to keep your attention. So. Not saying all shows don't get don't get us wrong. We're not saying all shows are fabricated and all evidence is fabricated. But it's it's been proven with a couple shows that evidence is fabricated. Yeah. In order to keep the attention span or they got nothing at this one location. So they're like, ah, crap, we just wasted thousands of dollars in filming. Let's go up and beat and bang around and film a scene where stuff's happening. Right. And and understand, we're, we're not dogging these people. I mean, they're entertainers. Mm-hmm. You know, these these producers, They their main concern is that we can put out a show that people will watch so that we can make money. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the whole point. And if that means we got to fudge a little bit, we got to get real excited when you hear a sound or you think you see something and we're really going to have to stomp this to death. Um, that's what they're going to do because they want to keep people watching the show. You know, and Adam's right. If, if you've ever done this, okay. If you've ever actually been on a ghost hunt, it's a lot of sitting around and mm-hmm. you get inside your own head. You're typically in the dark. Um, and you can begin to believe that you're seeing things, that you're hearing things, um, and you you may not. It may be inside your own head. Uh, you may be freaking yourself out a little bit. And nobody is immune to that, uh, whether you've got a camera crew with you or not. Um, right. You know, so I just, I thought that was really, really odd that I'm sitting here watching this and I, and I realized this story isn't real at all. But yep. they didn't say that it was. That's true. They That's they true. didn't say that this particular warden was at the Tennessee State Prison. Not once. They didn't tell you they were. They didn't even say you were in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. They just said this prison was called the Wall. Now, of course, a little bit of Googling, you figure out real quick, this is where they were um, because it was documented that they were filming there. Right. But it doesn't say right. what. I mean, ain't nobody, ain't nobody standing up griping because, you know. 
John Coffey, you know, it doesn't have some, you know, placard inside the cell where he was put to death. It was a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so nobody, it's a TV show. So yeah. take it, and- take it for what it is. Uh, I will say this. I, I do, I do have a tendency when I'm doing research, if it's something that's fairly well known, I will go and watch some of these shows, but this is why. Because one thing that several of them do and do a very good job of it is covering the history. Oh, absolutely. Covering absolutely. the history to just like Adam and I try to do um, that leads into the haunt. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times without the history, the haunt makes no sense at all. Right. And so when you put those two together, at least in Adam and, and my humble opinion, you you get a better story because you get a sense of why this would be the case. Yep. And and so for that, I have to applaud at least a few of these shows that are some of the most well-known um, because they do a very, very good job at covering the history accurately. And, you know, now they they may embellish with their their tone and really get it. And in 1946, you know, they, they may do all that. That's fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But what the information they're conveying is is accurate historically. Right. You know, it's verifiable. You know, I'm, I'm hearing some of the same exact facts that I can hear on. A, I can read on a dozen other websites. So, mm-hmm. you know, I can accept that as true. And they do a very good job at that. Um, but, you know, that was just kind of our little rant at the end. We thought, well, you know, because... There aren't a ton of stories about the Tennessee State Prison. It does look like it would be haunted. Um, it's interesting that there's shows that put, go out there that just kind of said, oh, let's just make up a really cool story about this place. Yeah, it's basically an exceptionally long-winded way to say, take these shows with a grain of salt and yeah. take what you see on TV with a grain of salt and take the list that you see on websites with a grain of salt too when you see something as the most haunted yeah and do a little research and find out if it is or if it's just somebody putting a creepy looking building on there yeah but i'm interested to know if if i i I would imagine most people have not been in or around the old tennessee state prison except maybe to see it from the interstate but if you happen to have been or if you or one of your family members worked there yeah. at some point, let us know, get in contact with us. You can mm-hmm. email us graveyard tales, podcast at gmail.com or hit us up on Facebook and let us know, because it would be cool to hear a story from somebody who's actually worked there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, one of the best places to share those stories is in our Facebook group. Um, it is a, it is a cool place. It is a safe place. You can come yep. and share these stories and the experiences no one's going to make fun of you. We all just want to hear really good ghost stories. You know, so so sharing them there uh, is a great spot to do it. And you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter. Just go and search Graveyard Tales. And you can check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And on our website, you can listen to the show. Uh, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise. Everything from coffee mugs to notebooks to baby onesies. Um, 
and you can also become a patron. And we, we kind of went over all of the benefits of being a patron of Graveyard Tales, all the, the cool features that you get, and the backlog of, of Patreon episodes is huge now. So uh, yep. you're really getting a lot of extra content. And we try to give you a little bit, uh, little, little bit better bang for your buck. So thanks everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, We sure did enjoy researching it. And until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.